All right, welcome to episode 10 of the Columbia Basin Conservative Institute podcast. I'm Josh here with Ken as usual, and we have another special guest, uh, Representative April Connors. April, thanks for joining us. So glad to be here tonight and in person too, which is is very fun. Uh, Just wanted to thank you both for actually doing this podcast because a lot of us in the Tri-Cities are big fans of uh, listening to political podcasts, especially Brandy Cruz in, in our area. But we don't often get to hear a lot about uh, what's happening locally. So happy you guys are doing it. Yeah, and that, that's sort of the base of this. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of us like to sit around and chat about politics anyway, and not that it's always ripe for consumption for other individuals, but we thought we might as well record it and talk about local issues and bring on local guests and and uh, make it relevant to the, the citizens of our area. So... Um, yeah, we, we wanted to chat about a few things, especially in your realm as being a freshman representative and the campaign you went through and your first session and all that. But um, first off, yeah, what can you tell us about just in general your first experience as a freshman legislator? Well, it was busier than I thought it was going to be. Uh, this year, they a lot of the freshmen uh, had four committees, and so I ended up uh, being put on three committees. I was pretty excited about it. I got my committee assignment sheet, and I looked at it, and I'm like, excellent appropriations, wanted that, especially as a freshman. Uh, housing was very, that was my top pick. Uh, you know, I'm a real estate agent, so housing was a big pick for me. And then consumer protection and business, which is uh, insurance industry, licensing law, also very similar to what I do. So I was like, okay, those are, those are some great gets, pretty excited. And then I turned over the paper and I was like, oh, I have a fourth There's committee. another one. Yeah, I got put on the labor committee, which is, uh, if you know, labor and workplace standards for a Republican is a, is a pretty uh, tough committee. And... So I, I got put on that committee and, and wasn't super excited about it, but it, it ended up being one of my favorite committees this year. Uh, but that being said, going over to the state house, you expect to have time to meet with constituents, and we have the 15-minute meeting blocks that we do, but with being on four committees, uh, I was in committee meetings for, I think I had six hours a week that I wasn't actually sitting in a committee meeting. So it was, it was hard to do as much as I wanted to do with our local folks that came over. Yeah, and I, I do want to come back to that committee because I there's a session that I watched and I have some specific questions on that. But, but before we come back to that, um, what can you tell me about just the the political dynamics of being over there? And you know, there were there were a lot of thoughts about well, you're you're more moderate, and um, coming out of the Tri Cities, we need someone who's going to be over there and just be a fighter and be pushing right-wing politics. And what did you experience from a political standpoint from the left versus right dynamics? And did you get along well with the other caucus? What's the political dynamic between the two parties? Sure. Well, well, first of all, I think it's important for our listeners to know that the landscape in the House of Representatives is there are, it is 58 Democrats to 40 Republicans. And so we are never going to pass anything that we want to pass that they don't want to pass. And they're going to pass everything that they want to pass that, you know, maybe we don't want to. So building relationships to be effective is uh, very important. I had a bill this year that if I had not spent time 
on the other side of the aisle working with folks in the Energy and Environment Committee, uh, the bill would not have made it through. And so, you know, I think when people are looking about sending someone to Olympia, they should really be looking to see who can be most effective, especially at this particular moment in time where we are in the State House as far as numbers. And I, I, I think that um, our contingency that we sent over from the 8th, uh, the 15th, the 16th, the 9th, um, all those folks that touched the Tri-Cities were all very effective this year in creating relationships on both sides of the aisle. Uh, certainly there are, um, you know, this, the 80-20 rule. There are 20% of the things that are that are sensitive topics that, you know, is, is going to be a fight across the aisle. But the rest of it, um, everyone tries to get along and work together. And, and I'm happy to chat with you. I, you know, I listened to Rep. Sandlin's interview the other day. I thought that was very well done. He talked about, you talked a little bit about what sh committees are uh, really work together. And there was a couple this year that I thought really uh, made a really good, the Ag Committee, which I wasn't on. They work bipartisan, and nothing leaves that committee without being bipartisan. Uh, the Consumer Protection and Business Committee, which as Chair Wallen and uh, Representative Corey's ranking on, nothing left that committee without uh, bipartisan support, and nothing left that committee without uh, Chair Wallen and Rep. Corey having uh, their members work on it collaboratively. And so you were teamed up with someone if there was a bill coming through to make sure that it came through and it hit both sides of the aisle correctly. Can't say the same for labor, can't say the same for appropriations, can't say the same for housing. One of the bills that you were intimately involved with in and that I want to speak to is Senate Bill 5156, which I believe was sponsored by Senator Torres out of the 15th, so a local bill, but um, related to farm internships. Can you tell us a little about, first, what are farm internships? Like, what does that refer to? Sure. It was a, it was a great bill that Senator Torres brought over from the Senate. Uh, it passed unanimously out of the Senate, came over to the Labor and Workplace Standards Committee. And what the farm internship bill did is, basically, it happens right now in Washington State. Small farms that are basically gross income, no more than like $250,000 a year, can hire up to three interns uh, to come and work on their family farm. Uh, they have to have a complete, uh, you know, agenda for them to do when they when they get there. They're there for a certain amount of weeks. It's, it's meant to encourage young kids to get into agriculture, because as we know, trying to get more kids into ag right now is a struggle. So... When you talk to like the Department of Labor and Industries, which runs this program, so it's run run you know well and with a strict hand. Uh, when you talk to their uh, government relations specialists, they will tell you that this is the most favorite program that they actually run at the Department of Labor and Industries because it's helping kids, it's, uh, it's successful, uh, but it's only run in a few counties in Washington State, and most of those counties were on the west side. And so what Rep, uh, or Senator Torres's bill was to do was to expand it to every county um, and then um, make it a permanent program. It was a temporary program that they put into place to see if it worked. It was so successful that the Seattle Times did an article about how successful it was and that they should definitely expand this program. So that was basically the bill was to include all counties and to expand it um, to be a permanent program. Yeah, and so I remember seeing that, yeah, not only, I think this was originally with just 20 counties, there was expanding to all counties, but um, specifically, when it came into the House, there was an amendment proposed, and I believe it 
became, turned into a series of amendments by a specific rep, and we can leave that nameless. But three or four, three or four amendments in, they were trying to change who was eligible for this, and specifically, it came down to like they wanted to limit it to people who were either descendants or children of migrant farm workers or migrants themselves. And can you tell us a little bit about that amendment and the process of how that, how that came through? Because ultimately it passed and, um, but then we can, that passed the committee, we should clarify and then we can go from there. But I want, I want to hear a little bit about that amendment process and your thoughts on that. Sure. Well, I was, uh, not surprised an amendment came in because when the bill was being presented in front of committee, I, I noticed that one of the members was uh, whispering to another one, and I'm like, oh, something something's going on over there. Uh, and then uh, the amendments started coming in, and then amendments started being retracted. But yes, the amendments came in. So basically right now it's open to anyone, but it's not just open to anyone. I mean, you have to be enrolled in like a technical college or a university or a community college. It's not like it's just an internship for anyone outside of you know, high school. Uh, so the amendment was basically... Uh, where I struggled with the amendment is you can have up to three farm workers or, or interns on your farm, but this amendment specifically made it so that if you were not a migrant worker, a child, you know, a child of a migrant worker, a grandchild of a migrant worker, that if you couldn't, you couldn't do the program. And it also was if one of those people did not apply to the position, then you could not have an it's intern toast. at all yeah. on your on your farm, and so we were taking this really su- highly successful program and making it so, you know, no one could do it. And, you know, I gave a speech in committee that talked about you know my own personal family. I'm, as you know, very in tune to agriculture. We, my family farms for a living. My husband's family is third generation farmers. I grew up in 4-H and FFA. I know how hard it is to get kids involved in the ag world. And one of the things that I talked about in committee is on our our family's farm, uh, one of the things my husband and his family have done is you have to go, and before you come to work in the family farm, you have to go work somewhere else. It's it's important that you understand work work ethics and working. And and what happened um, was this bill was not allowing that. And so one of the things that I talked about is I thought that the bill was basically limiting and discriminatory. I I did talk on on the... you know, in committee about having two children of color and that because they were, you know, one of my daughters is Haitian American and one's uh, from Guatemala, so Guatemalan American now. Neither one of those children could apply for this farm internship program because their parents and grandparents were not migrant workers. And so that was one of the things that I brought up and um, the majority party passed the bill out of committee with the amendment, uh, even though, you know, know, the minority party, our side voted no on it. Yeah, and I may, we probably need to splice in the audio of that committee meeting because it was remarkable to hear the the rep that had proposed that amendment say something along the lines of, you know, there, there are unintended consequences and, you know, we need to be thinking about equity with every bill and amendment that we propose. Um, Madam Chair, um, as you can see from the previous amendments, 
what I was trying to work out uh, just kept getting better and better as we t tweaked it and talked to members. Uh, and so this bill leaves every, or this amendment leaves everything the way it currently is, but addresses the expansion by making some modifications to that. I think it met a nice compromise uh, and a win-win for everyone that I will address in the final passage, so I urge a yes vote. Thank you. Uh, Representative Connors. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. And unfortunately, I'm going to encourage a no vote on this amendment. And uh, some reasons being, first of all, I talk about real estate a lot and most of my committees, but what you guys might not know about myself and my family is we, my husband and his family are third generation farmers, so I have a really uh, good working knowledge. Um, I'm a former FFA and 4-H girl, uh, showed cattle at the county fair, and so I have you know quite extensive knowledge in the agricultural world, and uh, one of the problems that I have with the amendment is just the requirement that one of the three individuals um, must either have a direct experience being a migrant farm worker or be the um, offspring of a grandparent or a parent that was a migrant farm worker. Um, unfortunately, this just assumes um, that our young adults that are migrant workers maybe want to be farmers. Um, one of the most important challenges that we face in agriculture right now is is getting young people to actually enter into the industry and to work. So making this program available to everyone regardless of their race. Um, one of the things that um, my family does is if you come to work at our family farm and you want to be involved in it, you have to go work somewhere else first. And that is something my husband feels very uh, powerful about uh, to go out and get experience. Um, I have a daughter who, as you guys probably already know, is Haitian American. And I have a daughter who's Guatemalan American. And uh, some of these things we would like to have as an opportunity for them as well. Uh, the word must in this agreement, that one of the uh, interns must be, uh, does that, is that going to limit what if a migrant worker does not apply for one of these positions? So I think I understand what the representative is trying to accomplish with this agreement. We had some conversations about um, in the ag industry, definitely pr uh, providers and purchasers are looking uh, for more people that are um, either women who are farmers or they're looking for diversity in farming. So understand wanting to grow this industry, but just think that this is, um, internship should be open uh, to every person and not discriminate against um, other nationalities. So uh, with that, I'm encouraging a no vote on the amendment today. This, uh, I, I was excited to see this bill. Um, I'd love the thought of helping our small farms continue and, and to get help and assistance. Uh, sounds like a great program. Uh, we here in the legislature, though, need to always be looking at every piece of legislation through the eyes of equity. And we need to, sometimes there's unintended consequences and sometimes there's just pathways that are not open to certain people. And I, I feel like it is our job to make sure we open those doors. And I think my amendment opens a door for a group of people that the farming industry would not exist without. They are the people on the ground floor picking our food every single day. I spoke to a couple young men who said, I tried applying for internships and I was t 
pretty much dismissed because I was the picker, not the administrator. They didn't see a path forward. We have farm workers that want to go into agriculture. They want to own their small farm. They want to work with their hands. They want to continue to produce for the state of Washington, but they don't see the pathway forward for them. This could be an opportunity for them to say, to, to incentivize our small farmers to say, let's open our eyes to those who are already in, our, in this situation who can learn more, who want to learn more, who want to continue in this field uh, and open it up to them. It does not upset what is currently happening. It does open doors for moving ahead. If we're going to expand, let's expand with opportunities for those who need it the most. I strongly urge a yes vote. But yeah, like unintended consequences, exactly. And the unintended consequences here that nobody could get this internship if you're not meeting the conditions that you're prescribing. So um, so ultimately that amendment passed and uh, then it came to the floor. And I, so this, this goes beyond like anything that I had listened to. And I, I know that you were able to successfully get an amendment so, you know, kudos to that, but I'd love to hear about, tell us what the amendment was and so ultimately where we landed. And then I, I ultimately I wanna circle back and prove the point that you can't cram down the throats of the legislature what you want, but this, I think this is textbook to make a, you know, propose a good bill, rally as much support around as you can, and when they try to turn it into a cluster, you like try and bring it back to the best thing we can get past. But so, so ultimately, what happened on the floor, and what was your amendment, and where did we land with this bill in particular? Sure, we, we worked for days on, on this bill, trying to get it to a spot uh, that it, that either, be, because we were, I was originally told that if I put any amendment on it at all, they were going to kill the bill which the bill was at a place where it really wasn't very workable. Uh, so we kept working with the chair. Uh, the chair kept working with, with with her member, and finally we got to a spot where they were, would allow us to at least say, um, you know, one. So if only one intern applied, it did not, you did not have to be a... Um, a migrant worker or a child of a migrant worker. Uh, but if three applied, one of the three would need to be and you know unless no one applied that was a migrant worker so so we ended up with you know hopefully satisfying at least that other representative but also still being able to have the program move forward in the state of Washington but it was it was a lot of work for a bill that should have been a really easy bill to pass and and get through and it, it was a you know for when we're in the Labor Committee in the Department of Labor and Industries, which I know a lot of people struggle with, it says it's their favorite thing that they do all year, and to have this kind of a, a blowback and pushback on the bill was was unfortunate. But in the end, at least we have something workable that maybe we can you know go back and work on again in the next session. Yeah, to have something pass through the Senate unanimously, and was it unanimous or yes, okay. yeah. yeah, and then just have amendments thrown onto it and. Ultimately, you've got to try and clean it up, but um, you know, kudos to you for making those modifications because I, I, we, we saw that pass. It did get some good press. I, thought, I saw the Washington Policy Center had an article on it. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, Seattle Times approvingly, but you know, knowing that behind the scenes there's this torpedoing attempt and you've got to clean up some of that. So uh, yeah, uh, 
congratulations on at least improving that. Well, I was happy to get it passed for Senator Torres because it was I, I was worried her bill was not going to go through. Yeah, I, I suppose I have a bit of a process question um, on that. Is it did come out of the Senate unanimous and had a pretty impressive uh, bipartisan list of sponsors on it. So uh, after your first session here, do you think that kind of random torpedoing of otherwise pretty solid legislation is a common occurrence? Because I, you know, from the outsider's perspective, how many good bills are we missing out of because of a random representative's uh, vendetta or poor judgment? Or you know, so is it, is that a common uh, theme that you've noticed in in your short time in the legislature so far? It's it's very common. So we have to look out for you know you're you're worried about getting your house your bill passed in your chamber, but then once it gets to the other side, there's absolutely no telling what's going to happen between the lobbyists thinking the bill's not going to make it and then it gets there um, and them torpedoing the bill or just someone in the committee not liking the bill or wanting to work with you on the bill. And, you know, I saw I saw a lot of that on the light pollution bill that I did this session for the wind turbines and how hard we had to work to get that through. And when you look at the final vote count, you think, oh, wow, that was just a slam dunk bill that she just pushed through. But it was it was so much work and so many days of waking up that they, they're going to kill my bill. Oh, they're killing my bill. It's not going to make it. And it's, it is a lot more work than I think most people think it is to try to get a bill to pass and a lot more work to try to rescue and, and save your bill uh, while it's happening. So anyone watching TVW uh, should probably recognize that any time one of y'all stand up and say, uh, this is a simple little bill or simple easy bill here, a little fix, uh, you're lying, and nothing was simple, and nothing was easy. <laughs> I I think nothing is really. I know I always laugh because people get up and say, "This is a good little bill," or "This is a simple little bill," and I'm like thinking, "No bill is good and simple." There was there was another one I worked on this year in consumer. Well, there was two in consumer protection business. One was uh, related to the industry. I'm in a real estate agency bill, and that one became a big piece of work. It was a Senate bill that came over that I had to work on. And then there was another one that I had no idea what I was stepping into. And, and the chair and the ranking member asked me if I would take on this bill about cats and dogs. I'm like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that. But who knew it was a controversial bill that had been worked on for the last 10, 12 years. But but we were able to get it through with bipartisan support in the end. And, and I think that, you know, it's hard to... Uh, you know, for people to understand that it's it, it it takes a lot of work to get anything to happen, even though we see seven or eight hundred bills pass a year, um, they're they're hard to get through sometimes. Yeah, well, so knowing that there are a lot of you know controversial topics out there, some bills that pass that are you know even you know fifty five ninety nine that we just saw today that they didn't gather enough signatures to turn into a referendum. Um, there's a lot of controversy around cap and trade and, and there's obviously ongoing issues with homelessness and crime and, and all that, but, um, beyond all those big topics, cause, um, we've already discussed about having you on in the future to talk about some of the big topics coming down the pipeline for the legislature. But what are some of the, you know, the smaller issues that you're planning to tackle in the next legislative session that we can keep an eye out for? Sure. I have a, a couple bills uh, that I ran this year that did, I, I ran four bills this year um, as a freshman, 
pass rate, so I feel pretty good about that. Uh, I had two that didn't make it through, one that did not get a hearing, and it was a policing bill. And it, So basically we have the, um, the police pursuit bill, and what this bill had done was it had enhancements on it. So if someone was stealing a vehicle and they got caught by the, the police officers or they were trying to flee, that they get an enhancement on their sentence because we have so many car thefts right now. So that bill did not get a hearing, so we'll be pushing for that to get a hearing again this year. And then I had a Homes for Heroes program which was a true kind of uh, hand up, not hand out. And it was a bill that we ran with a lot of bipartisan support. I think we had about 24 people sign on to it, Democrats and Republicans. And it was a down payment assistance program to purchase a house. But it was for people in our community that we need right now in our community, uh, mental health providers, nurses, uh, firefighters, uh, uh, police officers, uh, so that, and daycare workers. And there was a few other folks as well. But it was to basically help them. Uh, it was a pilot program, two-year pilot program, to help them uh, purchase a home uh, so that they can live where they work. And maybe we could start recruiting more people to Washington State uh, with that program. That program made it all the way to capital budget but didn't make it through. So that one will definitely be back next session in capital budget. And I've already had a lot of folks reaching out about that one, uh, wanting to be really helpful with that this session. Great. And then um, long-term care tax, is there any conversation about bringing that back up? Uh, is that, I, I don't know if we're uh, opening Pandora's box there with even asking, but. There are, uh, Yes, I think we will probably try to bring that back up again, but you know, are the is the majority party going to allow a bill to be heard? Yeah. Um, I'm assuming uh, since there was a bill that came up this year that will automatically move forward to next year and come back up again. And then, of course, the cap-and-trade piece will be a huge... Uh, Governor Ensley gave a press conference, you probably saw it this last week, uh, blaming big gas and, 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 their, and their executive salaries. And so... That is going to be a high topic, I assume, this year. So uh, looking forward to what the Republican solutions are going to be for that. Uh, hopefully we'll be rolling some out soon. Yeah, it's always big something's fault, just just not big government. I guess uh, kind of building on that is I know there's some pretty divisive issues, obviously, with the few that were just referenced. But <clears throat> what areas do you think um, there is a, a pretty bipartisan support on? Um, and then where do you think perhaps conservatives or Republicans um, in the state can start winning on issues to hopefully gain a uh, majority back in the House, the Senate, and who knows, maybe the governor's mansion here soon. Yeah, that would be, you know, even just having one of the three, if we could have the House, the Senate, or the governor's mansion, it would make a huge difference in getting numbers uh, closer together. I mean, I, I would like to say that we can agree on issues uh, like crime, but as we saw this year, that wasn't uh, didn't didn't go so well, but you know, ended up getting a couple bills passed. Uh, I I do think we can all start agreeing on um, housing. Uh, we we have a lot of work to do in that front. Uh, the the affordable housing issue didn't really come up this session. There was a lot of bills that related to the missing middle piece, uh, to permitting, which was really good, to taking vacant buildings and turning them into uh, housing units, but no one really addressed the affordable piece this year. So that's a piece that I think that 
uh, bipartisan-wise we need to be working on uh, throughout this interim uh, to come back with next session, and that is something that uh, Representative Clicker and I out of Walla Walla, he is the ranking on housing, I'm the assistant ranking. That is something we're working on and trying to work on with the, the chair of that committee. We have a couple ideas uh, to float by to start working on that, because as you know, if you look around and see housing prices in the Tri-Cities or anywhere else in Washington State, uh, it's not sustainable, and um, our kids are not going to be able to afford to buy a house, and, and, and rent is is you know completely high right now. So those are some things we're going to be working on this session. So I think those are things that we can wrap our our, our minds around to, together and and collaboratively. Um, but but again, it, it's. Um, it remains to be seen what all all we can do um, as a team. Getting back to sort of the partisan politics of what you experience is sort of what fascinates me is um, not to dwell on it too harshly, but I I think that uh, you were treated unfairly by the local parties. I would I would say to put it delicately um, and and painted as, you know, this might as well be a Rhino Club meeting here as far as they're concerned. But um, between the three of us and and presumably our audience, but as, as far as what you experienced in Olympia, is, what, do, what can you tell us about how coalesced is the left over there versus the right? Like, is there these party dynamics? Are there, the, is it clearly teams? Or is it, you know, everyone's there bringing their own perspective, and um, it's 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 all up for grabs when it comes to a, a bill up in the air. Or is everyone pretty polarized? It, it's it's you do see the majority party. Um, they have a lot of different uh, caucuses within uh, their their party on their side, and and. Our side doesn't, the Republican side doesn't appear to have a lot of division, you know, within our caucus where, where their side does. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why you saw the Blake bill, like, fracture right. when you saw the, the folks that were definitely more progressive voting with the pr Republicans, which doesn't seem like that should be happening, but they were voting mm -hmm. for different reasons uh, than we were, that they, the, the bill didn't go far enough for them, or didn't go far enough for us, went too far for them kind of thing. Uh, but, you, you know, we, it is a, it is a different legislature this year. So if you look at the numbers, I think it was a third, there was over 23, 24 new representatives this year. Yeah. So one of the, the nice things that they do is they bring you in for kind of a freshman orientation and we spend a few days with the Democrats and Republicans spend time together, so we do get to know each other, which is, is very nice going in before you go to session. But um, the, the thing that I have to say, and, and you, would, you would hear the Democrats say it as well, is the freshman Republican class. I think they were a little bit, a little bit intimidated by the class. It, mm -hmm. it was a, a, a lot of business owners, a lot of really smart people. We had more attorneys come in um, and you know, very well-versed and well-spoken. And I, and I think they were, they were surprised. I mean, we did exceptionally well uh, with the numbers that we had. And, and when we look at bills that we can't pass, we kind of take credit for bills that we could kill. And, but I don't, I don't think you see, the one thing that I like about uh, you know, our minority party right now is we, we can vote how we want 
yeah. to vote. We can vote our district. Uh, when you look at the majority party, they are mostly voting together. Uh, not, in, in, you know, unless there's a couple swing districts that will occasionally, occasionally break off, right. but they will vote together. Uh, there were a couple moments this year where pretty proud of a couple of representatives they they so on the other side of the aisle we debate we debate because we like to kill the clock and so they'll have one speaker and we might have 27 we might have 30 uh, but they will um not stand up and so even though they would like to debate back or say something they don't want to run the clock so they don't speak but there were a couple times this year there were a couple representatives that i wouldn't classify as swing district representatives that that got up and spoke their mind and it was one of the you know i was the first one to go one of the first ones other people did as well to go over and say you know thank you like get up and tell us how you feel you might you might be able to change somebody's mind i even had a one of this there's there's not just one speaker there's speakers that rotate through that are listening to the i had one of the um, speakers that's the one of the speakers that said to me this year Wow. Well, two, I guess. I had one that said, oh, my gosh, when I'm listening to you guys talk, sometimes I want to change my vote. And another one that said, I had, you know, we, we, I just listened to you guys speak for four hours on the growth management act. It might have been five hours. I had no idea. Maybe, you know, I feel like our side of the aisle doesn't understand about the growth management act. Maybe we, we should work with the Republicans Learn a little bit a little on something. this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so one of the things I want to ask you about is, you know, um, JT Wilcox uh, essentially stepped down from his leadership position and uh, replaced by Drew Stokesbury. And, you know, I consider myself a fan of JT just on his demeanor and his leadership and all that. And I obviously we didn't see the gains in the house under his tutelage. And I, I don't blame him in the slightest for that. Um, because I think there's other dynamics at play, including the national party and the perception of just the Republican party in general. But what can you tell us about, you know, JT's leadership? And then what can you tell us about what you expect from, uh, from Drew? No, I, you know, I, I came in under JT and JT very supportive of all of us, especially the freshmen coming in. He, even when I was running, made a trip over to the Tri-Cities and, and came to a fundraiser uh, to make sure he was here and being supportive of my run and my efforts. Uh, he, you know, from the time he met me, he was unwavering in my campaign, even though I had another Republican running against me. He knew I was the right choice for the seat in the House. Uh, he uh, does a really good job. He's He has a very good demeanor, like very calm, uh, very thoughtful, but also very strategic. And so, um, but, you know, Drew has been, uh, Stokesbury has been a, you know, kind of under JT. JT's, you know, helped Drew along all the, uh, you know, along the way as well. And I think it's a, a good compliment for him coming forward. And, um, you know, Drew is a very smart man. So luckily, like I said, I sat on House Appropriations Committee this year. So I, uh, you know, that was the when you're the the ranking on appropriations, that's generally the only committee, or usually about the only committee that you have. So I got to watch him in action this year. And he would create his own budget if he could. Uh, unfortunately, the majority party does not allow us to be in the room uh, for budget writing. Uh, which is unfortunate because when transportation and capital budget are, are different, 
they do allow the ranking members and the Republicans to have a seat at the table. I'm, you know, I'm hoping, um, you know, with Stokesbury and Steele, Steele, Steele's run the capital budget for quite a while. He is very effective at it. Uh, people like him. He has a really good relationship across the aisle. I, I'm trying to learn all the positions and I kind of think of, um, you know, JT's position was the principal and, and Representative Kretz was the vice principal. And so now you've got these roles and, and what, how do these roles work and who fits into which piece? But I, I think it's going to be good. I think they have a lot in, in mind. We have a meeting tomorrow night. And so we're going to hopefully roll out some new things that we're working on this next session. Good. So, yeah. Um, so how much are you doing in the off season? Because there's the legislative session, which, you know, runs through essentially winter into early spring. And how, how much work is it? I mean, besides going to events and having community presence and, you know, learning about community issues, like how much are you working as a legislator during the off season? Uh, more, more than you would probably think. Um, I'm working bills right now with staff. And uh, the other the other piece of it is uh, when Rep Stokesbury moved up to leader, it created an opening and appropriations. And so one of the assistant ranking members moved up to ranking. So I was elevated to assistant ranking member in appropriations. So I am very busy at this off session learning uh, the Washington State budget process. It's a $70 billion budget. And while we don't have a seat at the table, my hope is to get there. I have a really good relationship with the chair of the Appropriations Committee, Chair Ormsby. And so I'm hoping that um, with some some work uh, that maybe we can push forward to get a seat at that table. Uh, but I'm on video conferences every week uh, doing sessions, learning about K-12 budget, you know, um, right now we're doing mostly because that's 50% of the budget is education. So we're doing a lot of the education budget and, and diving in to learn right now. So I'm, I'm busy and, you know, I still have an, a job because this is supposed to be a part-time right. legislature. Yep. So. Yeah. Uh, you brought up the assistant ranking, um, on appropriation position. And I just wondering for, uh, again, for folks who aren't familiar with committee process or that that's even a role, um, what does that mean for for you? What do you actually? What does that actually mean for your for your job on that committee? And then, how does that gonna or how do you hope that that can benefit the uh, Tri Cities? Well, that that is the 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 great hope is that we can uh, benefit the Tri Cities with it. I am the only. Um, well, Representative Corey is 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 ranking um, on appropriations in this next session, so he represents Yakima area. Um, I'm in Tri Cities area, and so we're hoping. I mean, Eastern Washington, we've got a couple big roles on that committee right now. So, you know, watching uh, budget priorities come through, it should, we're, we're hoping it's gonna be helpful. I mean, it's it's going to be a, a long session for, it's a short session next year, but it's gonna feel long. Everybody says it goes by fast in the 60 days, but they have told me that my, even though I'm only on three committees this year, my constituent time is probably going to be uh, slimmed down a little bit because my expectation and learning is to be in every single budget meeting this year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of work, but I'm hoping for a, a good benefit and a good return to the Tri-Cities, you know, especially um, creating those new relationships with um, the majority party. Just, yeah, so everyone's ed education. So what does it mean to be a ranking member? What does it mean to be an assistant ranking member? So, yeah, I should have gotten that. So when you are um, in the state house, there is a, the, the majority party has what they call the chair, and that chair is very powerful. Uh, if you put, if you write a bill and you 
give it to the chair, you know, goes to the chair of the committee, they do not have to hear your bill. The chair and the chair only gets to decide if your bill gets heard by committee. So having a good relationship with the chair is very important. And then they'll have a vice chair, which is like their second and majority charge in charge. And then on the Republican side, it's called a ranking member. So the top Republican would be the ranking member and then the second in command Republican for the Republican Party is the assistant ranking member. So kind of the second ranking in charge. Okay. So an- another way to say that is you can't just show up, show up and throw your weight around and just get what you want. No. I, I, I am beyond pleased to be in the positions that I am to be second in charge of housing and number two on appropriations right now. I couldn't ask for better spots or seats and but you you know it's 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 a lot of work and you have to work hard to to get into those positions so it's relationships and conversations and yeah and and you know your leadership deciding that they think that you have the time the ability um and the relationships to do the job yeah so so my my next question on that kind of to the point of uh maybe not understanding how committees work and all that and it's just a lot different than perhaps what we see from the outside is, is uh, uh, given this is your first year, what, what do you think is the biggest uh, uh, misunderstanding or misrepresentation that folks maybe have of how Olympia works? Um, what, what did you kind of go in thinking, oh, it, it definitely works this way and, and it was completely different than your expectations? Well, did anything stand out or, or, or did it all go pretty smoothly as you expected? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was... Um... For me, I think a, a big uh, learning curve was the lobbyist piece and what the lobbyists' hmm. expectations are. And me going in, and f- first of all, you come out of a campaign season and you're not necessarily completely in tune with policy and you have to get there and all the bills are already crafted because that's what we're doing right now in between session. So all the bills are crafted, so you get there and you're kind of stuck with other people's bills, unless you bring your own, which I brought four of my own. But one of those I crafted right after I got elected, and it was because we had some local folks come to me and and say, we want you to run this bill, turn the lights off these wind turbines. I'm like, great, fine. So I mean, so the learning curve for me was probably the best thing I could have done was run that bill because of the learning curve. But I guess I was surprised that, you know, the lobbyists were a, they were surprised, and apparently you're not supposed to surprise them. So I think the public would be surprised that the lobbyists think that you should absolutely, in the off-session, work all your bills. Uh, they should be stakeholdered, and that means you talk to the lobbyists, about to their clients, and they make sure that they understand what the bill is and they have input on the bill. Well, I dropped a big, giant energy bill uh, that wasn't stakeholdered. So I had to then, you know, drop the bill no one was worried about it at first energy companies they were like oh it's fine it's just a freshman dropping some big bill that's never going to pass and then the committee chair uh, who i made friends with uh, in the um the freshman orientation uh, she had been in the state house before and then left to run for congress didn't win came back and they put her as energy chair she liked the bill she wanted to hear it at least she goes i'm interested this is i'm really interested in this bill i want to hear about it and so Um, it was surprising to me because then all of a sudden I had to go back and stakeholder a bill, but stand firm on, uh, my beliefs and my community's beliefs and what I wanted to happen with that bill. So it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. And then the stakeholdering process, I guess, was a a big surprise to me. Yeah. And so 
exactly along those lines, one of the questions I have, and you know, I went to the, I live in the 16th district, and so I went to the town hall with, uh, you know, Senator Dozier and Rep. Clicker and Rep. Rude, and one of the things that they had highlighted, which I think is really important, is just discussing exactly what the minority party can do, and you know, we talked about earlier about you know the fact that you were able to successfully propose an amendment and make a a bad or it was a good bill that they turned bad and you were to make it you know a a better bill um but as far as just stopping or slowing or halting bad bills can you tell us a little bit about that process because i i think that was enlightening to hear and i i i knew some of this but i think it was enlightening and worthwhile for the public to hear exactly about how what you can do in session to stop bad bills you know it just proposing amendments, talking about bills, like, and another thing I'm asking along these lines, and maybe you can just tie it in, like, yeah, why is it that you're working till two in the morning? Like, can you tell us about that? Because I think it answers part of that questions because of what you're trying to do to delay things or keep the process moving or stopping and, and so forth. So yeah, can you, I, I'm throwing you a lot there, but yeah, what can you tell us well, about that? Well, first of all, we can't filibuster. So, but we can each talk and we can talk. So early on in session, you can talk for up to 10 minutes a person. And then as session starts moving along, you can talk for three minutes. They do have to let us sleep for a certain amount of time. So if we stay up until two in the morning talking about a bill, we probably don't have to go back in until 11 o'clock the next day. So that we've killed, we're we're killing time is what we're doing. So there are certain bills that you can put a hundred amendments on it and it, 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 you can't really do a hundred, but we could do, sure. you know, but you could put a, you could put a hundred amendments on it and the bill is still going to pass right. because it's right. a priority of that, of the party. Yeah. But there's other bills that aren't maybe completely worked or aren't as important to the whole majority caucus. Um, so the Democrats are not, I mean, some people are sold on it, but not everyone. So if not everyone's sold on it, then. Uh, there are certain bills that we can. There was a wrap act this year. I use that as an example a lot. It was a plastics act, and it was uh, uh, basically uh, not only a recycling bill, which we don't have recycling infrastructure for right now. So it'd be great to start it. But we're already Washington State's already one of the leaders in recycling, uh, you know, in the United States. But it would have done some things like to the ag industry. It would have uh, changed their packaging requirements and and. Right now, as you know, they I, are regulated by... I know all by, about that, actually, yeah, yeah. Regulated by USDA and FDA. And so we were like, we have to try to kill this bill. So then it is, how many amendments can we put on? I, I could go back and look. I don't know, 15, 30. So when you have that, we can talk. So every single person on the Republican side, and there's 40 of us, can talk for three minutes on every amendment. Mm-hmm. And another three minutes on final passage. Yep. So that's, you know, kind of if do so the math on that, they, they do the math and they're like, how much time do we have left? And there's other bills we want to pass. So sorry, your bill, they'll tell the, you know, the person who sponsored on the Democrat yeah. side, sorry, your bill's dead. Yeah. And they just won't run the bill. And so we did that, you know, with the RAP Act. We did it with, um, um, oh, the Domestic ex- Extremism Council. Uh, we did it with a bunch of the rent control bills we killed this year. I mean, so we killed some some bills that would have been, you know, pretty detrimental to business owners and to to folks. And, and so it was, 
it, it's pretty impressive when we can. We, it's pretty exciting when we <laughs> when we can take a bill down. But I know it, it some, to some folks it doesn't seem like maybe we can do enough. But there are there are things we can do to be successful. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you kind of mentioned the recycling bill there. And I, I remember seeing something early on, and this gets out of my political realm into some career stuff, but um, just about how there was some proposal that we every glass needs to be like clear colorless glass to make it easier to recycle like does anyone talk to the beer wine industry about that because they will have some conversations about that um so you all are obviously very busy um you've got a lot to do so what can folks from back home the tri-cities uh eastern washington even let's just say what can we do to help you all uh advance or stop advance good legislation and stop bad legislation what what can we do to help besides sign form letters and things like that is there anything else that 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 uh, we can do to support you all yeah to piggyback on that does it really help to sign in on bills like i guess is the question yeah and no i'm i'm super glad that you guys asked that question because that is something that I want to do in the off session, not right at this moment, but as we get closer to going back, um, I've reached out. City of Richland is going to try to host one uh, for our, for our, we call it kind of our our hub, our Tri City Caucus, the eighth, ninth, fifteenth, and sixteenth, where we can start teaching people how to sign in, uh, because what we do notice is. On the west side, we see all kinds of people signing in from Seattle and Edmonds and Tacoma. And when I look at the sign-in sheet, I'm not seeing people from the Tri-Cities. So what happens is when we're sitting in committee meetings and a bill comes up, and let's say it's a bill that we know most of the Tri-Cities is going to not like, and I look at the sign-in sheet, and I can see that in committee, and it'll say there are 1,000 people pro and 35 people against. And I'm like, wow, really? No one dislikes that bill? And then there's also... Besides us just seeing the pro and con, I, I, I'll tab over and look, and I can see by city who has actually put comments on, on those bills. And, you know, which um, if a city official has or just, you know, someone within our community, and I can tell that people are really upset about this bill or they don't like it. Um, well, I appreciate and like all of the individual emails that we get. When you, when you fill out that form and it says, pick your legislative district and email your legislature. We get those personally, but the rest of the committee doesn't see them. And so we really need to have more people signing in to the committee hearings. And you can also have the ability to testify too, if there's a bill that you really do not like. There's a Zoom option now. Um, I will be honest that most most of the uh, people that show up in person are heard a little bit louder because you know, when you're on a video screen, it's it's not as impactful as being there in person. So if there's a way to come to Olympia uh, to testify against a bill, it's important. And we get we did get those those big bills uh, this this year. We had um, um, quite a few gun bills, and uh, I was in the appropriations committee, and I looked at it, and I'm like, wow, there's so many people, you know, for banning and and not not as many against. And we worked really hard that night. My legislative assistant and I stayed up that night and we took every single email that came in with a lot of mass emails come in. We responded to every single one of those people, those, those, those folks and told them how to do it. The next day we, we woke up, we had reversed the numbers and it was, I think 3,004 and 5,800 con. It was a big it was a big number change. As a matter of fact, it was so big that Representative Sandlin asked an appropriations for the committee chair to read the numbers. 
and he wouldn't do it. He said, you can see it on your screen. Nice, nice. I like that. So then, I mean, I guess that raises the question. I was going to say it begs the question, but I know better than that. That's a logical fallacy, which is not accurate. It raises the question. Um, but so when we hear about some of those numbers and the bill passes or doesn't pass anyway, like, you know, you mentioned the gun control or you know, 5599, I remember hearing the numbers on that. Like, so does it really, like, does it really matter? Like, are there legislators who are swayed by that? I think there are certain bills that are always they're going to pass on the other side because they're just, they want them to. Yeah. Uh, but as we get into maybe not as, uh, you know, politically divisive on both sides, I think mm -hmm. they matter a lot. Uh, one of the things that as a organization we're uh, committed to is encouraging um, future leaders to get involved, um, not just running for uh, uh, office in some capacity, but getting involved in commissions and all that, but, but even just from a leadership standpoint. So, uh, having the chance to, to work with legislators from across the state and, and some fantastic leaders, you named a few earlier, JT and Drew. Um, what are some commonalities or, or uh, uh, you know, features that, that you found in, in good leaders, um, not just uh, from a, a political standpoint, but in general? Um, what, what are things that you would recommend some of our younger listeners, uh, if there are any, uh, maybe look at developing for skills and, and, and habits to set them on a path towards, um, you know, a similar position as you someday. Sure. Uh, I, I, I do think trying to get involved locally uh, in a community, you know, whether it is on, like you talked about, a board or a commission or um, just um, coming over to the state house and visiting uh, for, for really young. You know, we have a page program uh, for kids that are, are, I think, under 17, and it was it was very Rewarding this year, I had uh, our our local Franklin County Party Chair's son came over and paged with us this year, as well as um, Doc Hastings' grandson paged with me this year, which was very fun. So I would say getting young involved in high school is 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 a great start. Uh, and then for you know college kids, there's internship programs that are available within the state house to come over and do that as well. But I, you know, think getting involved. I I, I told this at a real estate board meeting that you know to our, our local real estate agents i said everyone should be involved something somewhere whether it is a you know a local board for uh, i just judged miss tri-cities pageant this weekend so whether it's a local board for the like tri-cities miss tri-cities pageant or to sit on a foundation board uh, just to learn more about your community and especially i told the real estate agents because they're involved with buying and selling houses and promoting our local community but i would think um anyone could obviously elevate to do this job, but the qualities that you talked about that I, I see people uh, wanting to do a job like this and, and to do it effectively and successfully are to be good listeners, uh, to be active listeners, to uh, definitely, if you want to ever be in the state house, uh, work on your ability to get up and talk in front of people. It's an extemporaneous speaking job is what it is. You can't have a script. Uh, you can have notes you can look down at, but you cannot read from... A piece of paper so I would say work on your public speaking skills uh, meet people uh, really listen to what is needed uh, within our community and, and find a place that you can you can truly help and you're passionate about and I think uh, if you're passionate about one area that area expands pretty easily 
with the amount of committees and things we have in the state house, you know, you can if you're if you're an agriculturist, there's an ag committee. There's um, so many so 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 many things to get involved in. So I would just highly encourage people to reach out and try to find somewhere that they might fit in on a, either a local board or a planning commission or um, you know anything you know parks and rec board and arts commission. There's there's so many options and usually a lot of them available here. And uh, if you'd like help identifying some of those commissions or ways you can help, reach out to CBCI. We'd love to help connect you and, and uh, help you apply and, and get, the, get in front of the right person. No, th thank you for coming on. And I think the Tri-Cities is fortunate to have you there and you're doing a lot of great work and especially some of the stuff under the, the radar. It, as we, I, That's why I wanted to highlight that one with the firm internship bill is because you know, you see the high, the, the headlines that come out is, you know, Nikki Torres gets her bill passed and, you know, kudos to Nikki for proposing that bill and fighting for it. But just knowing the work that you had to do to make that bill worthwhile, because it could have been, you know, uh, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this could have been bastardized and it was, and you helped bring it back to something sensible. And so, um, appreciate all the work that you're doing for Tri-Cities and, and our, our our state so glad to have you here thank you ha happy to be here and i could just quickly say the same for one of the bills that i sent over that senator debanke had to you know hold his hand and do the same thing through the entire process so we're a team and that's what we do together and so i was happy that nikki could get the bill through so thanks for having me all right well we look forward to having april back on the podcast soon and especially check in during the legislative session in early 2024. In the meantime, you can keep an eye on April and all of her activities. Uh, April for Washington on Facebook. You can check out her campaign website also, aprilforwashington.com. And, of course, go to ledge.wa.gov, and you can see all about her work during the legislative session and keep track of any bills and any, anything of that sort. So, um, again, thank you for your time, April, and we will talk to you soon.